Last week we started a new series, and we began, we've begun looking at this idea of the I am statements that Christ makes in the Gospel of John. Now last week we looked at a foundational scripture that leads us up to this from Exodus chapter 3, and today we're going to begin looking specifically at what it tells us in John's Gospel, beginning with John chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 32 through verse 40 of John chapter 6, where Jesus tells us that He is the bread of life. So John chapter 6, starting with verse 32, if you take your Bibles and turn there with me. I'll read for us here. John chapter 6, starting with verse 32, this is what it states. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to spend some time together this morning worshiping You and looking at what your word states, and understanding more about who you are and and how you operate in our day-to-day lives. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture that speaks about the fact that you are the bread of life, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what that means, and we pray that our relationship with you would grow as a result. And we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this together now. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My wife likes to do some creative things. She's a little bit artistic. She uh, likes to do some pottery and do different things like that, but she also likes to include some art in her cooking. And what I mean by that is this. My wife likes to eat creative and culturally diverse foods. She loves that. She loves to make and create and serve very different things. Now, I tend to gravitate toward eating very predictable and somewhat boring foods. If you looked at what I tend to eat and what I select to eat, you would find it very dull. You would find it very predictable. You would say, you pretty much just eat the same thing, right? Or I kind of stick with one thing and then eat it for a long time and then go to another one thing. But the way that this plays out in our household is like this. I'm on my own for lunch, right? So whatever I want to do for lunch, right now I'm, I'm, I'm actually, um, I've, for a while, I've, I've been uh, utilizing the garden bar that they have at Redner's. So I'll go down to Redner's and I'll get some healthy things. I, I only tend to post online when I'm eating unhealthy things, but I promise you I eat healthy things too. So I'll go down there and I'll, I'll get a nice salad and then my conscience feels good that I ate some good stuff. 
for lunch, but it's not very, um, it's not very, you know, diverse, right? It's kind of boring what I've been eating. I could eat all the boring foods I want for lunch, and uh, that's that. But when I come home for, for dinner, the rule is she is going to serve me whatever creative dish, dish she has been preparing. And if I complain, or if I make a face, bad things will happen to me. All right? That is the rule. That is how it goes. I had this experience the other evening. I came home. She told me, she said, dinner tonight is going to be around 7. So I usually get home around 6.30, but I stretched it a little bit. I knew no one was going to be there. So I got home right about 7. And when I came home for dinner, a plate of unfamiliar food was waiting for me in the kitchen. Uh, I could see that it had pieces of chicken, so I recognized the chicken. Uh, but I didn't know what, I, what else I was about to eat. So there was a bed of things that looked like smaller pieces of rice, but I know it's not rice, I know it's got a, an actual name for it, but it was like smaller pieces of rice, and it was mixed with some chicken, and it was mixed with some other dark ingredients, and then next to that was something round and flat, and maybe about this thick, maybe about an inch thick or so, uh, that looked like it might have been grilled or fried, and when I looked at it, I wasn't sure what it was. I thought, maybe it's a potato, and I thought, well, it kind of looks like a chicken breast, but that's not the shape of a chicken breast. What w- and why would there be a chicken breast with a dish that already has chicken mixed in? That's not. Ch- and so I looked, and I thought, oh, I, it's, it's got to be a potato. And then I, I asked her, I, I said, so what, what is this? What's this? And she said, oh, it's naan. I said, oh, that makes sense. Non. And she said it as if I had a clue what that was, right? Oh, it's non. It's like, so I asked her, I was like, okay, what is non? So I profess my ignorance, and then she tells me it's a form of bread that's popular in India. So this is a form of bread that's literally enjoyed by a billion people every day. I was unfamiliar with it. I I didn't know what it was. Non. Okay, so that's a word, and that's a food that I ate. And now it turns out it was very good. I actually, I actually liked it. But would I've ever thought to try it? No. I. Uh, but you know, it's interesting because as I'm eating that, and as I'm thinking about that, and and even preparing for this week, I tried a new form of bread. It was good. I guess it's kind of hard to mess up bread, right? Bread in the many forms that it comes in, whether it's in a roll, whether it's in a kind of a, a cake, whatever form bread is in, I think we would say it's just about universally enjoyed. You know, wherever you go, bread is pretty much one of those things that's universally enjoyed. And so I think it's very interesting when we, when we look at what the Gospel of John shows us, that in his first I Am statement in the Gospel of John... We have Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life. The bread of life. What did he mean by that? And what should this revelation of his nature mean to us? Well, I want to show you some things that are significant about what Jesus was getting at when he referred to himself as the bread of life. So look again with me at some of these verses that I just read in totality. We'll break them down and take a look at them a piece at a time. But when you look at verses 33 down to ver- or excuse me, verse 32 down to verse 34, one of the things that Jesus shows us as the bread of life is that he gives life to the world. Look at how he phrases it starting in verse 32. He says this, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now let's pause there for just a moment. So leading up to this passage, if you read earlier in this chapter from the Gospel of John, you have John's Gospel telling us about Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 people, and in fact, we believe that there were probably more than that, that that was probably just the number of men or household heads that were present there. But in general, about 5,000 people, a very large crowd, they gathered to hear him speak. They gathered to hear him teach. And as could be expected, as this group of people, they're traveling to hear him speak. They're there for a while. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is teaching. And inevitably, they start to become hungry. And so in the midst of this hunger, you have the Apostle Andrew pointing out to Jesus that there was a boy in the group, there was a boy there in the multitude who has five loaves, he's got five loaves of bread, he's got two fish. But he says it in such a way to say, obviously this isn't going to be enough to feed this crowd. This is the food that's available, Jesus. we we got thousands of people here, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. What's the plan? So Scripture tells us that Jesus took the bread, and He took the fish, and He gave thanks for them, and then He had them distributed to the people. So thousands of people sitting down on the grass, it tells us, begin eating this bread as it's distributed to them, and they were invited to eat as much as they want. Now, have you ever hosted people and then um, discovered that you might not have enough food to feed everyone? And what's the rule? What do you, t- what do you, what do you tell, what word goes out among your family when you discover maybe we don't have enough for everyone? Eat last, take small portions, right? Let's see, let's let the company eat first. Eat last, take small portions so that our company gets what we've prepared. But the Scripture tells us in the Gospel of John that the people were invited to eat to their full. So there's five loaves of bread, two fish, and the people were invited to eat to their full. You know, fill your bellies, basically. Fill your bellies. And we're told that the leftovers that were, were gathered were just many baskets of leftovers. They had more leftover than they actually started with. And the people were amazed as they're seeing this because they recognize that this is a miraculous sign. How do we have more food left over than what we started with? And yet all of us can't eat anymore. We've all filled our bellies. We've all eaten as much as we could possibly eat. So the next day, the scripture tells us, they came seeking Jesus again. Now, if you had experienced this miracle, if you were there as Jesus was feeding this group of, of thousands of people, if you'd experienced this miracle, what do you think you would be most content with afterward? Jesus or more bread? Which do you think you would have wanted? Jesus or more bread? Which would you have been more content with? Well, sadly, when we look at what the Scripture tells us, it tells us that basically the people seem to want bread more than they wanted Christ. They wanted bread. Not Jesus. They wanted bread. They were not thinking on a deeper spiritual level. They were primarily consumed with their physical needs and filling their bellies. That's what they wanted. Their physical needs met, their bellies filled all over again. So Jesus attempts to teach them that they're seeking things of lesser importance when they should have been seeking Him. That's what He starts showing them. They considered consumable bread, bread that you would eat as a meal, to be their primary source of life. 
But Jesus was trying to explain to them as we look into the details of the passage that we're looking at today, that He is the source of true life. Now, by the way, this wasn't a new problem for the children of Israel. This wasn't a new thing for the people of Israel. This was a debate that you could see taking place over the course of their history. During their time uh, that they spent wandering in the wilderness as they were being led by Moses, you have the Lord supplying bread for them in the form of manna. That manna would come to them, it would fall from the sky, the Lord would supply their daily bread, their daily food was supplied through it. And Jesus here is trying to help them to see that what took place during the time of Moses was actually foreshadowing. You ever notice that in a good movie? When you watch it a second time, you start to pick up on the foreshadowing that that the director intended to be there to kind of point your mind and point your heart to something deeper that was going to happen later in the movie? Well, Jesus is trying to show them that, that the manna coming from the sky, it's like a form of foreshadowing. He's showing, they were being shown years and years, centuries before, about something deeper that was going to happen later, that there's foreshadowing here. It was meant to point their hearts to Christ. It was meant to point them to the one who is the bread of life. Jesus explains to them here that He, in fact, is the bread from heaven that they needed. So their ancestors saw this manna come down, and each day they'd collect it, and they'd eat it and be filled by it. It's this bread that came from the sky. And here He's saying to them, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the one you truly need. And the way He phrases it here, He says, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, the people of Israel in this moment, they're hearing Jesus, but they're not understanding Him. They're hearing what He's saying, but they're not comprehending the depth of what He's actually communicating. In fact, they still believed that they would find meaningful life through what they consumed. And you know what I find interesting about that observation? When we see this taking place among the group of people here that have the privilege to hear Jesus speaking and teaching and ministering among them and doing miracles in their context. But they believe that they'll find a meaningful life through what they consumed. And I think that's kind of interesting because it makes me wonder how many times we've been convinced that we'll find some form of meaningful life through what we consume. How many times have I tried to find meaning in my life through what I'm consuming? How many times have you done that as well? Don't we tend to fall into that same kind of trap? Don't we tend to fall into that same kind of mindset that the things we consume are somehow going to be the things that will satisfy the deepest longing of our souls? In fact, every day people kill over consumable things. I mean, just think about the things that people do to get more of what they can consume. Every day people leave their families. Every day people betray trust. Every day people go to war over things that can be consumed. And why? Why do we do that? As human beings, why do we do that? Well, we do that because we're convinced that we'll find life through that kind of bread. We're convinced that that kind of bread is going to satisfy deeper longings, but that is not where life is found. True life is only found in Christ, and that's something that Jesus was trying to illustrate to those who were in his, in his hearing in this passage. Now, Jesus takes us a little bit deeper here. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus illustrates here that he satisfies the deepest hunger 
of our souls. Look at what he says there in verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And who, and then he goes on to, to say, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. About 10 years ago, I took a hike with a group of friends. And we were in a state park here in the state of Pennsylvania. And I volunteered to go on this hike. I thought it was going to be a fun hike. Ultimately, it ended up being a fun hike. Uh, but there were lots of trails that we could use while we were, while we were on this hike. And we had agreed to take a trail that was about three miles long. So that seemed pretty reasonable, right? About three miles long. That doesn't sound like it would be all that arduous. It's enough of a hike because you realize it's not even terrain. It's difficult in some respects and then easier in others. And so we thought, all right, three miles, that sounds good. But unfortunately, we must have been relying on incorrect information or bad directions or something like that. Or maybe we even took a wrong turn. None of us were able to really figure out what had taken place. But when we had finally made it back, we had hiked over 10 miles. And it wasn't like smooth path the entire time. That was only part of it. Some of it were going over large rocks. Some of it were going through the woods. Some of it were going through, you know, not very pleasant terrain. And so when we made it back, we were very tired. And in addition to being tired, we were also very hungry. I remember being so hungry that I thought at that moment, I will eat just about anything. Whatever I can find, I I would even eat naan. All right? Would you even eat naan? Right? Actually, that was very delicious. But the truth is, our souls are hungry. Our souls crave fulfillment. What are our souls hungry for? And what are we trying to use to satisfy those cravings? Do you ever analyze the cravings of your soul? Obviously, we're used to being hungry in the physical sense. But do you ever think about what you're craving for on a deeper level? Do you ever go through a season where you just feel dissatisfied with life? And do you ever ask yourself questions, why do I feel dissatisfied right now? Why am I lacking contentment? Well, let me suggest a few things that I think our souls actually crave. First, I think we, I think we crave comfort. I think all of us crave comfort. We seek comfort in routines. We seek comfort in familiar places. We seek comfort in hopeful promises. We crave comfort. You crave comfort. I crave comfort. I think something else that we tend to crave is safety. Do you ever realize how many decisions we make that are based on our desire for safety, our longing for safety? We seek safety in forms of defense. We seek safety in forms of protection. I think a third thing that we tend to crave is provision. We seek provision through resources that either we acquire through our efforts or resources that are shared with us. I think a fourth thing that, that, that our, our, our hearts, our desires tend to indicate or, or, or something that we tend to crave is significance. Even if you tend to be an introverted person, I think that you probably crave significance. And we tend to, crave, we tend to try and satisfy that desire through service or through achievements, or through approval. I think we seek love. We crave love. We tend to find love or try to find love through relationships. I think we're also looking for acceptance and belonging. We tend to seek acceptance and belonging through the ways in which we're treated or perceived 
by others. I think we tend to seek growth. We seek growth through challenges and and through some investments that are made in us. I think another thing that we crave is health. We seek health through the care of our bodies, through the care of our emotions, through the care of our relationships. These are different things that we tend to seek. These are different things that we tend to crave. There are deeper hungers of our souls that tend to fall into these categories. And let me say this, I don't think any of these categories is wrong. I don't think it's even wrong to hunger for any one of those things or to crave any one of those things. But Jesus knows that our attempts to fulfill these cravings through material means will fall short and will leave us feeling dejected. If we're trying to utilize material means to satisfy those deeper level cravings, those things will fall short. It will fall short. We'll feel dejected. it, It won't work. Because Christ is trying to tell us here in this passage that He alone is the bread of life. He is living water. He alone can satisfy the cravings of our hearts on the deepest level possible without leaving us disappointed. In Christ, we find ultimate comfort, safety, provision, significance, love, acceptance, belonging, growth, and health. Those things are ultimately found in Christ. This is what Jesus, by the way, was trying to attempt to explain to those who were speaking to Him. He was trying to show to them that He is the bread of life. He is the one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And by the way, I think that that's also what He's trying to convey to us right now. Because you and I will chase after whatever we think is going to satisfy that longing. We'll chase after it. We'll make sacrifices for it even. We will chase after whatever we think is going to satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. And Christ is trying to explain to us in this first I Am statement that He's the bread of life. He's the one that can satisfy those cravings. He's the one that can satisfy those longings. Our hungry and our thirsty hearts find everything we ultimately need in Him. And if we're trying to satisfy those cravings through lesser means, we will, in the end, result in being just experiencing disappointment or feeling dejected or even feeling rejected. But Christ says, ultimately, in His statement here, He's saying, you can find ultimate satisfaction in Me. That's where Christ, or that's what Christ is offering to us as the bread of life. Something else that he points out to us in verse 36 down to verse 38 is that he will never cast out those who truly come to him. Look at what it tells us in verse 36. It says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus will never cast out those who truly come to Him. So I find the words of Christ that we read in these verses particularly comforting because the concept that He's explaining here is so different from what we tend to experience in other relationships. So in this passage, you have Jesus telling us that He will never cast out those who come to Him. He's never going to cast out those who come to Him. He will never chase away. He will never discard anyone who approaches Him with genuine faith. Now, that concept stands in stark contrast to most of the things that we tend to experience in our human relationships. Because human relationships don't tend to operate like that. Here you have Jesus saying, I will never cast out those who come to Me. 
We'll never cast them out. But how many times have we experienced the exact opposite from people we were trying to relate to? Remember a couple of years ago, I think it was like 5 o'clock, and I was still here at the church, and I got a call from somebody, and the Eagles had a Thursday night game that they were playing. And a friend of mine called me, and he said, listen, I ended up having an extra ticket. I'm already here in the stadium. If you can get here for the game, and the game was going to start in just a couple hours, he said, if you could get here to the game, you could come to the game and sit with me for free. And he showed me a picture of where he was seated. It was really nice seats. And I called Andrea up, and I said, listen, I realize you're probably making some non. And you've already got a portion set aside for me. But would you be opposed to me going to the Eagles game tonight, I just got a call that if I, I could jet down there and go to the game for free. She said, by all means, go to the game for free. I'll save your non for your lunch tomorrow. She may not have said that second part, but you weren't there, so you don't know. Um, so I, I drove down, and, uh, and, and I got there, and uh, the seats were great, and I was all excited. And then maybe about, I don't know, just about five seats down, there was a woman who was very excited to be at this game, but it was also clear that even before the game began, she had had much too much to drink. And I watched people reacting to some of the really interesting things that she was doing, and uh, with every non-play, she's high-fiving everybody and, and just screaming and yelling at moments that people are thinking, nothing happened. I think we're on a TV timeout. What are you yelling about? And finally, it got so obnoxious that security came and took her out. And I remember thinking, this is awkward. I felt bad for her in one respect, but also you could tell that everybody sitting around her was feeling relief because she was being very, very difficult to sit near. But I was thinking about that. I, I'm, you know, She made a bad decision. She got kicked out. Aren't you grateful that Jesus doesn't cast us out every time we make a bad decision? You know, when you think back over the course of your life, aren't you grateful that Jesus doesn't kick you out every, with every bad decision you make? That would be a hard path to walk on if He did, wouldn't it? You know, when we think about all the times we're like, yeah, if I could do that moment over again, I'd do that moment over again. Jesus doesn't cast us out every time we make a bad decision. How about this? I have, I'll say this, uh, throughout the course of my life, I've made friendships with many people, and many of those friendships are lifelong friendships that are very, very solid, and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for those friendships. I'm, I'm highly ministered to by those friendships, but also, and maybe you've experienced this too, I'm sure you have, unfortunately, some of the friendships that I've made throughout the course of my life ended up being rather one-sided. Do you ever experience that kind of friendship where it ends up just being rather one-sided? And it, I have to admit, it's pretty deflating when you discover that some of your friendships were really conditional and were primarily tied to what somebody perceived they could get from you for a season of time. And then once they're done with that or once they feel like they got what they wanted to get, they just kind of cast you aside. And you realize, oh, that wasn't really much of a friendship in a moment like that, you just kind of feel used, right? Just cast aside. And then you look at what Christ says in a passage like this, and it makes me grateful that, that Jesus doesn't love me, that Jesus doesn't love you based on what He hopes to get from you, and then once He gets it, casts you aside. It doesn't work that way. 
I'm grateful that in this friendship, in this relationship with Christ, we can have no fear of being cast aside. Jesus will never cast out those who truly come to Him in faith. As the bread of life, He'll never cast out those who truly come to Him. One more thing that this portion of Scripture brings out that I want to finish with today, and that's this. In verses 39 and 40, Jesus shows us that He will raise us up from death. Look at verse 39. It says this, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So here it tells us that Jesus, the bread of life, He goes on to say that He would lose no one that the Father had given Him, and rather, instead of losing them, He would raise them from death. So if we look to Christ for life, He will grant us eternal life and raise us to life in His presence forever. That's what He's saying in this portion of His Word. Let me show you a couple other portions of Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So consider what these Scriptures taken together are trying to reveal to us. Jesus is promising us here that death will not defeat us. He defeated death, and He assures us that we will be raised from death. And through His resurrection, the Scripture tells us that we've been born again to a living hope, and now through Christ we can walk in the newness of life. We have a living hope and the newness of life, a new life that we did not have before Christ raised us to this position, before Christ assured us that we will ultimately be raised to life in His presence forever. Josh McDowell said something years ago. I want to quote him directly. This is what he said. He said, No matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. And that's what Jesus was getting at in these verses. That's what He was communicating to us. The desire to raise us to new life. We don't need to adopt a dark outlook. Our minds and our experiences are not chained to the culture of death that's taken hold on this earth. Because our spirit is, is nourished by Christ, who is the bread of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to walk with You and to know You and to 
just look at the things that you've said in your word and take hope from these things, Lord, because we know that these promises are not, not idle statements. These are, these are things that you have brought up to us, and they are true, and they are anchored to your nature. You don't make comments like these and just leave us hanging. You don't, leave, you don't make comments like these and uh, just allow us to, to float out there on our own. You are the bread of life. And we're grateful for the life that you've given us. We're grateful for the fact that even though we can identify that our hearts crave so many things, you show us that ultimately you're the one who satisfies those longings. You're the one who satisfies those cravings. We're grateful for the fact that in the midst of whatever adversity or difficulty we go through, that we could look at what your word states, that we could find sustenance in you, and that we can have hope beyond the circumstances that we deal with right now, because you've assured us that there's better things up ahead for all those who know you. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you promise not to cast us away if we truly know you. Lord, we know that there are many people in this world who go through life not knowing you. But by your grace, you've revealed your gospel to us. You've given us the opportunity to know you. And we pray, Lord, that each of us that are in the hearing of your word today would take hold of that truth, that we would truly know you by your grace, through faith in you, and that we would walk throughout the course of our lives as men and women who ultimately have a, a genuine trust in who you are and what you've accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we're grateful for these reminders today. We're grateful for these examples of your divine nature. And we pray that you'd encourage our hearts through them and help us to walk with you daily as we seek to live these things out. We're grateful for this all, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.